the Tenuous Links podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, welcome to the Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, home of the Golf Barons, now playing on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Now the Ryder Cup has been run and won rather convincingly by Team USA and joining me to troll through all the good, the bad and the ugly from what many consider golf's greatest event is Big Philly. Grumpy Phil, welcome again. I'm so glad we spoke over you to give you a chance last week when we had our special guest. So you didn't get a chance to tell us why the US were going to win by 10 points. Shooter, it was it seemed quite opportune at the time, but but boy, what happens when you play to your potential? You know what? I'm loving being vindicated. Being vindicated, I was mocked relentlessly by you and John from Chicago last week for tipping the USA. At every opportunity, I was belittled. I was just derided quite frankly and I just think it's time for big boy Philly to eat a little bit of humble pie. When a sentence starts whilst on paper the US team we couldn't allow that to just sit there because everyone knew where that was heading and I think one of the amazing things I thought was really amazing was how many people tipped Europe and and yes Monday experts are fine but when it comes back to this average world ranking of 8.9 who all then turned it on, and a European team had an average world ranking of whatever Nearly it was. Nearly 30, I think it was. The, yeah, 28, 29, 30, whatever, whatever it is. Um, on a course that was set up for them, it's, it's quite surprising. And one of the things we'll go into later is just these, um, you know, this idea of, of making calls after events have happened as opposed to before they've happened. But one of the things that I really loved, and I didn't actually know that this was something that occurred, um, after a Ryder Cup, but there's an ongoing bet between St Andrews and Pinehurst. Oh, detail. And the winning the winning team um, has to display or gets to display their flag on the 18th hole of the losing team. So the Pinehurst number two flag is currently flying on the 18th green at St Andrews. And I think that is just awesome. Just the, the fact that the, that that someone because there was this beautiful photo of them putting the flag up at, at on eighteen at St Andrews. So two iconic golf courses, and um, you know, showing this this camaraderie across the, the oceans of how golf just spreads globally. I, I just love. How long does it fly for? Do we know? I didn't. Is it until the next win? Or? Oh, I didn't do my research. It, uh, it, no, it, it might be a week. It might be a day. It might just be for that photo opportunity. It actually doesn't matter. It was just so nice to see the flag of one course that I've managed to play flying on the flag of another, on the whole of another course that I've um, managed to play. Um, and then the other thing that I loved um, about watching the Ryder Cup was and Kipper doesn't give us much, let's be fair to him, but his mantra of owning your swing, there were not, across 24 players, there were not two golf swings that were the same. Mm. And I, I just loved that. I, I loved watching Berger and Scheffler and oh, Bryson oh, now and you're on, you're, Now you're on Berger. Oh. No, no, I'm off Berger. I, I'm completely, and I, I, I don't worry. <laughs> Both Berger and JT will cop it a little bit <laughs> later on. But But just this idea of, Find something that works for you and work within it um, to try and make it the best you can as opposed to try and manufacture something. And I love it and I hope that we see more of it, not less of it, which we've spoken about in the past. Has there been a better example of shot tracer uh, <laughs> um, than there was at Whistling Straits over the week? We saw some of the best snap duck hooks into the, um, into the what's it, is it the Atlantic or the Pacific? Oh, my, my geography's uh, not the, great. The Lake Michigan. Yeah, that'd be it. <laughs> Not even close. Um, uh, and that's right. I swam in it too. How am I going? Good start. Um, Research. Some of the some of the most amazing. Um, so, and I, I know we'll touch on a couple of them a bit later on. But shot tracer is such a massive tick for mine. I, I know you're more traditional, a bit more of a traditionalist in a lot of ways. But what's your feeling on it? Are you a, are you a fan? Um, I'm a big fan of it, particularly the, the holes that stood out to me with Shot Tracer. I mean, other than five, which, you know, the Bryson Scheffler incident, but 16, uh, the par five, that three wood that they were playing in, where, where two of them, I mean, Justin Thomas really 
was a foot away from hitting it in the Magumbi and instead he carries on like a complete dickhead. Um, but then also 17, the really long par yeah, three, I, I thought cracker. it was perfect. It was the perfect setting for Shot Tracer to sit there um, because it showed these different approaches and particularly the other element of, of flight. The trajectory. Tra- which I love, the, the peak, tra- peak yeah. trajectory where they were talking about, um, I think at one stage, Berger, you know, trying to hit one in flat. It's like, why would – you know, why would you do that when you've got to carry the trap? So it just added an element and it gave the commentators something to talk about other than breakfast. There was a lot to love though, wasn't there? It was a pretty pretty cool event in the end again. I thought it was a great event and we'll we'll go through a few other things. But there's always got to be a flip side to that and it must be difficult being a journo at a press conference um, at the end of an event when you're trying to talk to a team who won, as JC quite rightly pointed out, so I'm not claiming it, is the world championships, world champions of narcissism. Um, but when they're all three quarters cut because they've all just hit it hard, other than for now, for now, they've all hit it hard straight away. Um, but then one of the questions comes out to Cantlay, um, have you watched the video back of yourself? Were you surprised at your emotions? I was there, dickhead. <laughs> um. <laughs> Why would someone ever be surprised at their like, – like I don't get that que- – I, I gave one of the other journals a, 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 a pass barely for the DJ question about could he outparty them because anyone who's watched social media knows that he's the king. So it's kind of a tap in, but he just wanted to get a nice question out there and it made him feel good. But were you surprised at your emotions? Philly, mm. I've been uh, I've been in many a press conference and I'm yet to hear a an overly intelligent question delivered. <laughs> you, you, it's all low-hanging fruit stuff. I mean, it was pretty ugly seeing them. The way they went after, and far be it from me to to defend uh, some of these players, but um, the way they went after Rory was pretty ugly, I thought, um, in front of his whole team. You know, Rory, do you, do you feel you let everyone down? I mean, that's that's pretty disgusting. And then the way they, they went after Brooks as well, or do you like the event now? It was just, it's just, it's quite pathetic. And you could see the look on JT's face, um, Justin Thomas's face, sitting next to Brooks, just like how, how ridiculously unfair that was. And Brooks, it was really uncomfortable to watch. Uh, it's lazy journalism, it really is. I think Brooks gave the journal what the journal deserved, which is a steely glare and a very straightforward answer. But but I just think that, that a lot of them are like they really don't know what to ask because they haven't thought too much about it. And I think the Rory questions, the other thing that I didn't consider is the fact that we got the, the Sky um, sports feed in Australia. So we got to see Rory's raw interview straight off um, his win when he, he was full of emotion, whereas um, that wasn't fed, uh, certainly in its entirety, I believe that wasn't fed through into the US feed or it might have been picked up either partway through or they might have done another interview. And so you actually need to see all of that to have it all in context to then not ask stupid questions of Rory when he's already declared his emotion. He doesn't need to be reminded of what he's already declared. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty poor, but, yes, I, I thought – um, Jordan Spieth, Sean. From a press conference point of view, given the fact that Shoffley really pissed me off in the press conference, quite frankly, um, because he's no Michael Jordan, you know, sit there smoking a cigar, looks like he smoked it for the first time ever and was so – the most important thing in and the I world. And I can tell you that I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, te- <laughs> technique, I mean, seriously. Just give me five minutes, I'll teach him how to do that probably. But it was like it was the most important thing in his life was to show his, the kids he grew up with, look, I'm smoking a cigar and then giggling. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like he um, – whereas Jordan Spieth – so he got asked a reasonable question about preparing for Italy yeah. and, and Spieth about saved momentum. Yep. And Spieth saved him as he saved Thomas uh, on day one. Spieth is – not only will be a Ryder Cup captain, but but his greatness will not just be what he achieves on – on a golf course, he is um, he is everything you'd want. He's class. He is the he's pure class. He's the classiest on that team um, by a long way, in my opinion. Having tipped the US and being fairly confident they were going to win, I discovered just how hard it is to barrack for them. <laughs> it it lasted probably maybe half an hour. I was going to say fifteen minutes. That's probably a bit unfair. It lasted about half an hour, but the US crowds they. Like, I don't want to turn this into a, just a, a negative US thing because I, I love the US. Um, there's a lot to like about the country. But there's one thing that they always seem to struggle with, and that's humility in sport. And the US crowds, 
they're just they're so blindly pay, um, parochial, which you understand. You don't mind the part partisanship to a degree, but it's but I hate the lack of sportsmanship that seems to come along with it, and it's predominantly on that one side. Um, you know, hearing them cheering misses, booing good shots, and and trying to put uh, European players off sort of mid swing, just with shouting and stuff. It's such. I found myself flipping and going, no, I want Europe to win now. Like, I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah, there's just a lot of, there is a disconnect, I think it would be fair to say, between how they go about it and how we go about it. Um, and, and I think part of that is just that cultural thing. We, we just, we appreciate it a little bit more and maybe, I mean, maybe we're a little bit blinded. I, I, I didn't pay enough attention because in Paris, um, I wanted the uh, Euro to, Europeans to win. Maybe I turned a blind eye because the team that I wanted to win was winning, um, and, and it might have been going on, but but I just don't. You, you just don't get it the same way. And yeah. and I think someone pointed out chanting and that's versus the French as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But they look very good doing it. <laughs> um, but there's a difference between the, cha- the the singing of European crowds, which is a celebration, and then chanting. Um, actually, creative chants like USA, USA. And at one point in time, I heard a variation, which was you, SA. And then on day three, they went. Did you get the USA? USA. Yes. I know. That was trying You've to get mix the, things up, Phil. That was because they wanted to, all they wanted to be was part of Canada. So that was the USA. Um, but anyway, oh, yeah, what do you do? What, what do you do? But I'll tell you what I did discover, Shooter. I discovered how much I want to play Whistling Straight. <laughs> yes, it is a it's a pretty special course, isn't it? In hindsight, the course clearly favoured the Yanks as well. Like when, when you think about it, and if you look at the history of the course, um, which was a couple of things I was trying to point out to you last week, it's kind of made to separate for the skill, if that makes sense. It, it kind of um, yeah further highlights the gap between. Um, very good and great, or even good and and very good. And when you think about the past winners at Whistling Straits, you had you know VJ Singh, um, Martin Keimer, and Jason Day, and they they all became world number one after that. Uh, and even in even when um, Keimer won it, so he beat Dustin Johnson. Johnson DJ only lost that in 2010 because he grounded his club in in the uh, wasteland bunker, which was effectively just hard pan for everyone. He later became a world number one. So it clearly widens the gap between good and great. Uh, in my opinion, which only further highlighted that gap that you've mentioned earlier about the average uh, US ranking compared to the European ranking. So I think from day dot, the Euros had a massive hill to climb. Um, they did. And I think what I particularly liked, uh, and JC couldn't join us because I offended him about the Bernard Langer thing, but the um, the whispers from whistling um, were, were spot on in that the, it was going to be played in the air. Um, so forgetting the rough and all those other things, the idea of, of a Lynx course but everything being played in the air relied then on flight control, trajectory control um, and the ability to, to hit the ball well because unless you're flushing it, things are going to go wrong uh, in the air. And so the idea of the fact that it was you know softer conditions than would normally occur at Whistling Straits and that wasn't necessarily because of watering, that was because of rain next to that big ocean that it is being... Lake Michigan, just Lake Michigan, just to piss everyone off, the Michigan Lake. Um, But I I think Whistling Straits, everything about it says I wanted to play there. And I did make a comment to John from Chicago that I just need to make sure I was in great form before I played there to actually be able to enjoy the elements of it, not to hit it anywhere near. I mean, obviously I can't. Well, not well for two shots I could. Um, to hit it anywhere near they hit it, but but just so you could really enjoy it, because I think some courses are good players' courses. I I, I just loved it, and how pure the, were the greens, and how great was it that the bunkers didn't unfairly impact anybody, despite there being eight thousand eight million of the things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The the putting, and what and what an insightful call from John from Chicago last week that the team that that puts the best is going to win, and it seemed to be the team that putted best won. Um, and I think what's great for the US team is they picked up on Langer's hint and they all went out and they practiced their match play putting and as a result, um, they they got the win. But 
I just the course the the surrounds when you actually look at the flat farmland around it, you really do get a strong sense of what of what went on and what money buys you when it comes to a golf course. But yeah. but what you can achieve if you've got a vision. And another point was made in the commentary about Pete Dye golf courses creating great rider cups. You know when you when you think of Kiwa and you think of um, Whistling Straits and then the other two that I forgot to write down. Um, but <laughs> but it's <laughs> but I think in terms of. Those peat die, the creative peat die courses that are a lot of risk reward, um, and I did like the one comment after Bryson's drive um, on Twitter uh, from Andy Johnson Friday, where he said, "You know, finally after twenty three years, someone plays the hole the way Pete Dye intended," which is just a because <laughs> John from Chicago said that that you can't even fathom standing on the tee and looking in the direction that Bryson hit it. It, it doesn't even make like there's nothing that computes to say I can even do that. Where do you sit on the the different formats? Uh, do you have a favourite? What about foursomes? Are you a, are you a fan? Did do you enjoy seeing the boys um, team up? Like um, foursomes was good for me because it was played in the middle of the night, which meant that when I woke up, I was able to actually control what I was watching on replay as opposed to watching it live. So so four ball, you just see it all the time, um, and then and then individual strike you see it all the time. But I really do like that because I like the strategy thing, and and even on. Um, Day two, the morning of day two, they were talking about when Ram on five, Ram and Sergio. I mean, Sergio, as I said, one of the great wedge players, and Ram's gone for the green in two trying to carry the water and dumped it in the water. And at the time, it looked like it was a critical hole because they went to three down. Um, and obviously, just be, being freaks, they fought back. But the idea of positioning the ball to make your partner's life easier, and then the flip side of that was also whether the foursomes, and I do love foursomes, whether the foursomes pairings were set up a little bit based on the golf ball um, they played and how much that influences it. And Strick called it out before the week um, and it wasn't given a lot of credit because the standard should be informed but ill-informed golf watcher says, oh, they're all, the balls all perform the same. But they just don't. They do for us. So for a 10 marker, all the balls are going to do exactly the same thing. But at their level, 500 revolutions of spin off a seven iron is significant. Yeah, it makes all the um, difference. Uh, what would be a bigger issue, do you think, for um, for these elite players? Changing the ball model or changing the ball <laughs> colour? I was, it had me thinking about this the other day. I'm thinking, if you always play white and one of the other, like, so, you know, say it was Bubba while he was playing coloured balls and he was paired up with someone and, and he had to use one of his coloured pink balls, whatever. How much would that, even if it was performing the exact same um, as the white one, how much would that throw people off as much? Oh, I reckon, I reckon they'd be stuffed. I think they'd be stuffed. What, what I liked uh, coming out of that and just sticking to that theme, um, if you think about the, the day three pairings from, from Stricker, he had DJ and Morikawa undefeated, both play the same ball, forgetting the gear they play. They both play the same ball. Their golf games are not the same, but they play the same ball. Spieth and Thomas, same ball. Berger and Kepka. Same ball, maybe one's an X and one's not. And then Raman Garcia, um, which had got thrown at me, oh, what about Raman Garcia? Well, well, Garcia had just come out of playing the Callaway ball and Rama just come out of playing the TaylorMade ball. So it didn't really matter. Whereas you had Poulter and, and McElroy on day one um, where obviously they'd – because you can change balls every hole, but the one ball has to be played the whole way through the hole. Does that does it negate the influence? So I'm, I'm – taken off an attention here, does it negate the influence or otherwise? Well, I think the less you have to change and the more you can just trust what it's going to do, the better. And when you see Rory missing greens with wedges, I mean, he was having an off week, but I'm not saying the ball did that, but doubt creeps no, But Rory, Rory's shown a history of being very good at uh, performing after a, an equipment change, Phil. So. What, did you think about the, what did you think about the crowds? I know a lot's been spoken about it. I come at it from a, a point of the – you just can't have a one – completely one-sided crowd i think it just made it made it a lot uglier than it needed to be in a lot of um a lot of areas particularly when it is such a parochial u.s did they influence the result uh how how can you tell that's that's never going to be able to be determined but no you you would sorry i was just practicing my shit ass um press conference questions how were you feeling at the time when you were feeling what you were feeling (laughs) yeah that's right um, the old unknown. Where is Donald? The old unknown knowns. Um, okay, I'm going to throw one at you. Given the Ryder Cup comes every two years, what's the problem with having an enormously parochial crowd and booing shots that don't go your way? So if I go to the footy 
people boo. Now, they're not necessarily intelligent people, but they boo. No, they're Collingwood supporters, yeah. Some of them. Um, but they do but they do boo. So what, what is actually the issue with booing? I mean, that's it. I don't like it. But what's the what's the? Yeah, well, it doesn't belong in golf for one. I mean, that's pretty. it's a pretty simple one for me. You, golf has forever talked itself up as a game, whether we like it or not, a game that is a little bit more of an elite game in the sense of it's a bit more conservative. It's a little bit, a little bit more of a sportsman, a gentleman's game. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons a lot of us love it, that it does have that decorum about it. Seeing mouth breathers might be a term we'd use. <laughs> just shouting and booing is, it's just not welcome. I mean, you had the, you had Stricker at the beginning of the, um, at the opening ceremony, if you want to call it that, saying, oh, let's give him a great big Wisconsin friendly welcome. We're going, you know, he even, he even had to, preemptively say, hey, guys, we're not going to be yelling and booing and being bad sports, are we? And they're all like, yeah, yeah. And then you see it 15 minutes into the first first day. It's just, what's wrong with it? I think it's the ugliest look for golf, and I think it's anti-golf. Yeah, golf. so they're bottom feeders. Why, why? Let me just throw it back at you. Why do you love it? I, I hate it. Um, and there's, the reality is they're bottom feeders. But but I just wanted to propose that that idea of, of an event every two years, if, if it gets super parochial, um, what is the issue? I, the danger here is is that from Whistling Straits, they go to Europe, they go to Italy and uh, Marco Simone, and it's going to be game on. So, so this is the, the the problem is that it just gets the angst, and I think that the angst um, reflected. I mean, even Spieth tried to do his bit to calm the crowds because he's he just is. He was almost he was embarrassed by it. Well, I think that there's just a point where this is not golf, and we we talk about wanting to grow the game and do all the other great things which we do want to do. But one of the things that attracts people to the game, like the great man Michael Jordan, who was there, who every time he turned on, I paused the screen and reflected. You would have thought he would have given Xander just a little tip on on that stogie. <laughs> I just had a, and maybe that was Xander's nod to MJ. Um, anyway, I think it sets a dangerous precedent for. Italy in two years' time, or for Rome in two years' time, just as the just as the gimme situation does. <laughs> is there anything more controversial? You go away playing golf with your mates, and, and let's say there's a little bit of money on. Is there anything more controversial ever, even at our level, than a gimme? Yeah, it's always a bone of contention, isn't it? I, I think it's it, it was uglier watching players complain about not being given gimmies than it was not giving of the said short gimme. Like Bryson measure, I think it was Bryson measuring with, with his um, putter. You know, oh, it's only this. It's just, it's just petulant crap. If it's that, if it's a gimme, then tap it in. It shouldn't be an issue for you. Uh, and he's got a forty-four inch or forty-three inch putter. Um, so JT started that. So really, day one. If we look at the gimme situation, so Sergio was asked to hit a two footer in on day one, but anyone who'd watched Sergio putt would have asked him to putt a two foot putt. Anyone who'd <laughs> exactly. watched Justin Thomas play a major championship would ask him to hold a two-foot putt. In the back of the mind, we've got Doug Sanders, we've got Will Zellatoris, I've got Lexi Thompson, you know, missing the hole by six inches from three inches. But, it, but it's um, a major part of match play and it's a part of the psychological warfare of match play. Uh, Gary Player, was, we know how epic he was at, at match play and he would say, I've con- regularly I'll concede three-footers until till the back nine. Because now you're going to have to make that three foot footer when the game's on the line, and you haven't had to look at five other <laughs> cracks. But the it. flip side of that was that Bryson sucking about not being given a two footer on the first hole, because normally people will concede them early and then make see them late. Well, bad luck. Like we don't declare our strategy to each other before we go out. That's why it's a bit of a competition. But the the flip side of the downside of it, when you had Shoffley and Cantlay, um, who were five up after nine, and they're asking to see two footers. On day one, you know, you then go, well, maybe. But then again, at what point in time should a gimme be given? Because I can tell you what happens at the little Walker Cup thing that I go away playing is that gimmies result in people cracking the shits. They result in self-gimmies, gimme overrules, gimme discussions, and then gimmies that result in the, oh, that's the bloody ball game right there type gimmies because someone who happened to be playing their first Walker Cup event didn't realise that, you know, when someone's got an 18-inch putt on the 18th and you don't know what the scores are, that finally giving him one despite there being five footers given all week is not okay, <laughs> Phil. Apologies, Al. But there's nothing more controversial than a gimme, and particularly on a mate's trip, 
um, or anywhere else. So get over it. You're a professional athlete. And that's the, the general consensus is expect to hold them and expect not to be given them and there'll never be a problem. Yeah. 100%. Do you think they should get rid of the gimme or do you do you like it, it as a um, – Yeah, I love concessions. Because it's a tactical – Especially when I'm on the receiving <laughs> end of them. But it's also – it's so tactical because it can create – it can inspire, it, it can piss off, but you can use it to mess with people's heads. And I think in a match play situation, that's what it's all about. Is someone walking up expecting and waiting and waiting and you can hit, sort of watch them walk along and their ears a little bit more open to the play they're playing against. And when they don't hear it, they get angry and anger leads to mistakes and it's a competition and it's a bloody serious one. Speaking of messing with heads, Phil, we saw some uh, some interesting wardrobe choices uh, over the Ryder Cup. Uh, the U- USA with their hoodies. What were your, your thoughts on the hoodies? Team hoodie. We, we talk about hoodies a bit. I, I love the look. I, I have I love the look. I have no issue with the look. And in fact, my wife even said, "Wow, that looks cool." It actually it actually did look really yeah. cool. I must Would you admit. ever? Well, I'm not sure about the practicality of it when you're swinging, which we touched on when JT um, was at the. There's open. no function, but it, on on um, I think Justin Thomas was on 15 on day one, and the wind was starting to pick up in the afternoon. Geez, you're going after Justin it, Thomas. Oh, not yet. It it blew up and whacked him on the back of the head just as he was about to putt. And so he putted up with it half sort of across his head. And then, like, why – so why would you possibly expose that and expose that risk unless you were struggling to get half a point out of the possible two on day one and carrying on like a complete dickhead? But then on um, day two, when you had um, the Burgermeister um, on, on the first green – and, again, it's all about strut and bravado and appeals to the lowest common denominator crowd – but putting with his hood up um, – then maybe there is a function in it to remove distraction. I mean, if they put blinkers on horses, why would that actually not? So that was seen as a, wow, that's a weird thing. To me, maybe that's the perfect use of a hood is to remove all distraction around you, like put blinkers on a horse and putt with it. I th- actually, that might have been a stroke of genius that no one's considered. He's actually having it up. I'd like to wear the hoodie so I can cover, cover myself up and no one can see who's playing these horrendous <laughs> shots. Um, so like the look, don't, don't understand the function and therefore it's irrelevant. But um, but as I say, I think Berger might have incidentally stumbled onto something, which is he's got blinkers for the first time. Oh, he's putting with the hood up. Um, it's almost like a gear change. It, it, you know. And as we saw with Polter, can I just propose this to you? What would have happened had you seen Tiger Woods turn up at a Masters using a mallet putter? What would your first thought have been? I'd say that he's not quite trusting his putting at the moment. Ian Polter. <laughs> His whole reputation and career has been based on – I mean, if you ever wanted a little sign from God that things weren't quite right – sorry, that's a complete aside, but just trying to think about gear changes with putting with the hood up. When Poulter turned up with a mallet putter, I thought, oh, he's, he's not enjoying himself. Like at every Ryder Cup or any of these big events, we saw some some pretty incredible shots, um, some iconic shots in some respects. Uh, my boy Speedy, you saw the – I'm sure you've seen it. It's everywhere, uh, the shot from deep – Greenside rough. Uh, he was, he was barely. What was he? He was almost standing at a forty-five degree angle. And the shot tracer on it. That when we were talking about the shot tracer earlier, that shot yeah, tracer that is cool. one of the coolest images of for years. Like it absolutely enhanced uh, that visual for everyone. Uh, incredible. What, what were you? Some of your takeaways from incredible shots. Well, my saw? takeaway from the Spieth one is what happens if he's playing that and he's at Cape Kidnappers. So he, so he took off down – so he's taken off down towards the water and legitimately was struggling to hit the brakes until it flattened out. So rather than a trickle into the, into the ocean of Lake Michigan, what if that resulted in a 50-foot, 100-foot or 500-foot drop-off? Uh, what, what would you do in that situation? So I love the theatre of it. I, I legitimately didn't think once he had momentum up that he could stop himself. And my first thought was – well, if this was happening, uh, and that's a cliff, um, what what do you do? Do you do you burn and roll? What you do is you flap those arms as hard <laughs> as you can and hope this is the time. <laughs> but I agree, shot tracer on that. Obviously, we had Bryson's drive, but the one that that stuck out to me, and I think this is a measure of Sergio and a measure of the man. Kepka uh, in the match with Sergio and Ram hit a shot that appeared to be he was standing outside the bunker with the ball down two feet below his feet. He had a tree in front of him and then the green maybe 70 yards away and he's hit it on the green and he came up onto the green and Sergio said, I didn't even think you, were, you could, would be able to hit it, let alone get it on the green. Like just as a – and Kepka initially went, what? Yeah, thinking he's sledging him. Because yeah. I thought he was having a go. 
But Sergio said, I didn't think he could hit it. Like that, this this respect. That sort of gets to to my my point about um, celebrations. Like I, the differences is this was there was no nothing more stark than the difference in the way in which either team celebrated. Yeah. Um, just look at the way Shane Lowry uh, compared to a Justin Thomas. It, it's passion versus arrogance. Like one's one's just a me 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 pump up. The other one is just raw emotion expelling from the body. And I think that's a real sporting cultural difference between the two. That that, that was so obvious to me. Anyway. Uh, um, I think JT, yeah, he, he seemed forced. And for a guy who won half a point on day one, running around as was as been described, and not necessarily by me always, but running around like Conor McGregor after a fight, like you, you complete. Sorry, but you're a dickhead, and it made me wonder whether he was the CC and dry of golf tournaments, which is <laughs> why well, I only do it because he does it. Um, you know, you wonder, like, is that is he reacting like that? And he might well be a really passionate guy. Sorry, so you're not a dickhead. But he, he might be a really passionate guy. But how much of that is because I think that's what the crowds want me to see me do versus that's just what I feel, whereas Lowry couldn't give us stuff. And to do, to do what he did, I was made for this. Hold the putt um, and then, you know, get the roar. He, he wasn't looking for a roar from the crowd. That was just him exhaling it, saying, "What an event!" And I love, I, I, I love Larry, and I want to get onto my love for Larry. Yeah, a little bit we, later. we will. But Jay, just quickly, JT obviously pretty tight with Tiger, and it's like he's trying to emulate Tiger. But Tiger's was clear when he would celebrate; it was clear that that was real, it was authentic, and it, it just it felt a bit forced. Now maybe we're being unfair, maybe we're reading too much into it, uh, but the difference was pretty stark to me. Uh, you wanted to touch on on Shane Lowry? Uh, oh, just there's a couple of other things just on the topic of idiots. Uh, Brooks Kepka um, swearing at the rule, swearing at the rules officials. If I break my wrist, it's effing on you two. Um, when they didn't give him a drop because he thought he was hitting. So, so hang on. So, was your problem the effing <laughs> yeah. or the fact that he was attacking the rules official? Uh, the, he didn't do it in a polite there, manner. He Is did, that the didn't do it in a polite <laughs> manner. He didn't address um, both of them by their their first names and, and invite them to change their decision, um, he strenuously objected. With, <laughs> you know, th- this is very similar to the approach to try and get golf allowed in Victoria. I object, overall. Well, I, I strenuously, strenuously object. object. <laughs> um, except he's not as hot as Demi, but I thought that was controversial and could quite easily, and it would have, it would have caused uh, some angst, but they could have lost the hole. It, 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 the, the rules officials were within their rights to say loss of hole, Inappropriate being a knob. Um, the press conference, for now, sooking that the European team didn't hang around, you know, to watch the US team celebrate. When the European team were called straight into a press conference to front the media, you know, that's that's the first cross for Fenea, for me, in his whole life. Here's the thing. There's a lot of guys who I have a hell of a lot of respect for in that US team who now have dipped a little bit in my, my estimations after the carry-on, um, during but mostly after. Uh, which we'll touch we'll touch on in a, in a sec, um, th- but there were plenty of there were plenty of hits from the uh, from the Ryder Cup. Obviously Shane Shane Lowry for me the genuine passion was a big one. Um, DJ Dustin Johnson with like five and zero just getting the job done um, a- again at a venue that he's been really good at in the past. Uh, very unlucky not to have won in twenty ten. Ra- Thanks to Paul Casey's inability to pass. There's always that. Ram, I mean, if I, like it, it, it was moving three inches right. So I'm surprised he didn't aim point it and try and drag it out <laughs> hey, for another day. Hey, there was a couple of aim pointers on there, a couple of them that you of your your boys. Uh, Ram, he was another big hit for mine. The, the a lot was made of the Spanish Armada of, of him and, and Sergio, but with all due respect to Sergio, a lot of it was was he was a, a spectator just admiring um, the big Spaniard. Who the, the Spaniard torch has been passed on to Ram. He's taken it with a plum. Clearly, world number one. I mean, he was clearly world number one. Was holding putts that that others weren't weren't putting, and they teamed well. And I'm glad that Harrington just gave him that opportunity to be the Spaniards and lead and try and recreate that. You know, is there this opportunity for not that you want to recreate the the Seve Alathabal thing, but but it's a really nice touch, and I think it means a lot. But to why European. not? Why not try and recreate it? it? It's such a such an endearing part of that European team has been for years, and. Why not celebrate that and say, no, no, this is the Spanish wing. Uh, over here is our the English wing. Um, over here we've got the whatever it might be. And just why not play them as nations if it works? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I think you look at the fact that you've got Makakawa, Cantlay and Scheffler all undefeated for the week. Um, Ian Poulter is yet to lose a singles match. Isn't, in that's the right an incredible account. stat, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that, that, I think that's pretty cool and deserves – I love his passion. Yeah. Kudos for that. Um, the idea of it being horses for courses, I mean, the fact that, to your point about – about the golf course perfectly suiting the US team. 34-14, I think it was, or 35-13 on par fives, the US one versus the European team. Um, Makakawa, the, the DJ Makakawa combo um, was special. I loved this comment that Thomas Bjorn made. So there was some discussion around a tattoo, of getting a tattoo of the result <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> on his ass, um, uh, or a tattoo of the result following uh, what happened in, in Paris. And whether or not Stricker was going to get a tattoo. And Thomas Bjorn, uh, once the, the scores um, moved, the, the half point got erased and it went to 19-9, I think. Um, he said, if Stricker is going to have a two tattoo, he'll be glad there's no half point in there because <laughs> it's just the extra, the extra penmanship. But it's, not, <laughs> it's just not what you'd normally expect to hear. And there was just a silent chuckle in the European booth. But, yeah, if Stricker is going to have a tattoo, he'll be glad there's no half point in there. Um, Perfectly delivered, perfect timing, and it just showed this humility of let them celebrate. You know, we've had a win. Um, and then my other comment that I loved before we get on to Larry was a comment by DJ. Uh, and this was in the press conference when a reporter asked whether he was going to celebrate with Morikawa and get into bed with him the same way that Fleetwood Molinari did. And DJ's just looked down the reporter's eyes and gone, I ain't scared. <laughs> And I think that summarises his whole life. <laughs> oh, that press. There, were, Larry, there were a couple of little gems that came out of that, wasn't there? But Larry, Larry, um, not not. In fact, every interview that he gave, every question that he was asked, is what you'd hope that everyone would give the answer to for that event. You know, after holding the putt on eighteen, well, you know, I, I said to McCaddy, "I made for this." But he's thirty-five. He's not twenty-two. And he's he's dreamt of I think it's thirty five, but he's dreamt of playing Ryder Cup and the emotion and of being involved in a team through the roof for me, Larry. I I, I could not th- he and Spieth, um, yeah. I can't think any higher. Two either. shining lights for mine. I think there were some opportunities missed, uh, and on the US they had a chance to change minds or, or sort of change that stereotype about Americans and winning, uh, you know winning without humility and that US press conference it was like a drunken frat house uh, they were disrespectful they were unprofessional such a bad look for the game um, and by again by all means celebrate but there was it was just it was just a smug arrogance about it that is just off-putting uh, and as we've already mentioned Spieth Spieth proved to be all class saving the team um you know, multiple times in that press conference, Stricker, you look at his face, he seemed really uncomfortable with it all because he's, he's yeah. clearly quite a reserved, quiet, sort of humble guy. I um, mean, he's surrounded by these these massive egos. That's the reason why we find it so hard to barrack for them because we should, as, a, as Australians, we have a lot in common with the with the US. We have a lot, you know, one of our well, our be- biggest and best ally uh, uh we stand, Maker of submarines. We stand for, we stand for some pretty similar things. Yet when it comes to sport, it's so hard to barrack from. And I think it's because they have this um, US, USA versus everybody else mentality. They just don't care about the optics of the arrogance at all. But when you compare it to the, the European press conference, which I think is, is, was one of the most telling uh, press conferences going around, the humility that they showed, uh, the difference between the two teams in losing, I think, said a hell of a lot. So like, look back to 2014. And yet the U.S. players, uh, led by Phil Mickelson at the time, they just went after their captain, Tom Watson, afterwards. Um, aired everything. All their dirty laundry was aired. They went after him. And he's, a, he's an icon in the U.S. He's you know, one, of the, one of golf's greats. Yet in this record loss for Europe, the, the team, when they were asked about it, they rallied behind Harrington in a heartbeat. And they all got behind him and said he was great. And it reminds me of this, this beautiful quote from um, an American sports writer, Haywood Brune. Sports do not build character, they reveal it. And I think that was very telling in those press conferences post that win. For me, it's just, it's a big difference between having a drink. Because I heard Brandel Chambly go on about, oh, we saw similar things with the Europeans in in Europe having a drink of champagne or whatever else. But 
I think he's just running cover for the team US, to be perfectly honest. I mean, there's a big difference between having a drink or a sip of champagne and celebrating and a bit of ole, 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 uh, you know, in a, with an epic victory and turning up to a press conference drunk, slurring your words and just basically acting like teenagers on their first night on the piss. It's just proof that the US cannot handle their drink. <laughs> I actually had a note here that says Shoffley looked like a young man who was having his first drink and smoke. Um, but but here's what I'll say. I mean, you know MJ, you know Michael Jordan, and this is no NBA championship. So so allow one to be celebrated differently. And I think what would have been a, potentially a really nice touch would have been, you know, those really cool old champagne glasses that are really nice and wide. If they're actually sitting there sipping it. But, but give me something with the class with which you won an event. That is a classy event. Um, don't don't give me college frat house. And they're probably um, probably sipping on Michelob light or something garbage like that anyway. <laughs> Some American. That's right. Cheap well, piece. for now, not even that much. Um, and then I think further to there, there was just that college. You know, at some stage, even when JT and Berger would were throwing beers out to the crowd and chugging them and all the rest of it, even though they weren't playing, there's just you know, is that what? Like this is not an old or new golf thing. It's just, but is that? Right. Is that what we Is want to go for? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Although I would like to see a drink off between Lowry and the rest of the whole uh, the, the, the whole US team because he would absolutely cane them. The, um, uh, quite comfortable. That would bring the, the Yanks In fact, be team. looking for the President's Cup team next. He would actually just move on <laughs> from, from one to the next. So um, in terms of other misses other than JT and Berger, and I can't keep going on about Justin Thomas all day, the three Europeans have failed to, failed to win a point. Yeah. Um, so Wiesberger, Casey and Fitzpatrick. Um, for now, English and Spieth all had losing records, but Spieth made all that back. I mean, he wouldn't have had Justin Thomas been able to putt even though apparently all those putts should have been given to him. But if JT, like that that freak up and down that would have gone down in folklore, that they he could have then the got up in. to tie the mat. He missed a tap-in. Oh, not a tap. I mean, it was five feet, but you're you're an elite athlete. Give me a tap-in. And this is why I, I will never pick you for a major. Ooh, um, whack. Again, the the Rory-Polter combination, Tommy Fleetwood's putting under pressure. T- Tommy Fleetwood, um, some, of these, some of his approaches under pressure were he, – he hit I, – I saw him hit some – of the worst duck hooks I've ever seen in golf, <laughs> let alone from a professional. And I'm not doing the, not meaning to attack him. I mean, the pressure is ridiculous. I, I'm no better. I'm not trying to say I would be. But, but we are worse. But to see <laughs> to see these guys, some of these guys, look, it just shows how crazy this pressure is and how much it does affect them. And then the other one from a missus point of view. So, so we'll just put Tommy under pressure as opposed to Tommy's putting under pressure. Even though I declared him as being the, you know, I thought he would be the Leona Maguire. Um, I wasn't expecting DJ to just not lose. Um, and I think DJ, sorry, just on I think DJ's got a steel in his eye that says, I'll be back to number one mm, no question. by the middle of the year. Yeah. I, I'm, this is a major year. So if you're going to back DJ, I'd get on him for the Masters because he's going to be cherry ripe. But then the idea of these US Monday quarterbacks, these Monday experts, oh, par fives are always going to be the difference. I mean, people who'd chosen Europe to win after like they yeah. lose, yep. like me. No, but... Declaring that par fives, like I hadn't even considered that, but oh, par fives, they're always going to be the difference. Like, yeah, whatever. Do you think a way to level it, because I know it's looking like the US are going to be pretty dominant for a while. Is there a way to to, um, bring it back to a a closer contest? It's a bit of a game changer. I'm sort of thinking on the run here, but why don't we make them, if they're going to, you know, scull these beers and throw them down, well, why don't we make them have to have a drink and then play their, their drives? Why don't we do that? Because we know the Yanks wouldn't go up against anyone. They, who, who would they possibly beat? How does it work out for Fennell? Or does he just not get to play because he doesn't drink? Oh, well, that's his first mistake. <laughs> um, so I, I see where you're heading. Uh, and I think this idea of driving under the influence, Damien, <laughs> is something that potentially should be explored. Thank you. Um, but I've got something about the Ryder Cup. Has it dawned on some that the Ryder Cup fills a hole in their lives? Just to drag it down a little bit. You know, when you look at them reflecting and they're sitting in the, the press conference, you look at Rory's emotion, and, and Rory really summed that up. But even if you look at Brooks, like remove the bravado and sit back and reflect on what you did. The, one of the great things that they'll ever be a part of is team. And it never happens in golf outside of college. Lee Westwood in the press conference was a was a great one. It was a real tearjerker when he said he you know he's probably played his last uh, Ryder Cup and he got to walk down uh, with his son. 
on, on the final hole, and he was genuinely emotional. Genu- they have the Europeans have a real love of it, don't they? Like a real fondness, not just a fondness for winning it. They have a fondness for being a part of it, and and the um you know the, in the change rooms, the, the locker room, the the team that they've built, um on the things you know yeah they had a few. Clearly, there was something going on with uh, Tommy Fleetwood uh, behind closed doors that was humorous for everyone, which which I haven't heard anything further. But those are the little things. And you know, you've been a part of sporting teams. They're the things that make people uh, and make teams. It's the little things that no one else sees, the, to- the team bonding stuff. And Europe really do seem to have that. So that's why I don't think they'll be in the doldrums nearly as long as a lot of people are predicting. But I think also for the US team, though, I think it has actually filled a hole. I think the rookies have come in and gone... Well, golf is a lo- I mean, golf really is a lonely pursuit surrounded by my team who always tell me how good I am. And I get surrounded by these people who are all cheering for me and, and they're all wanting to find out how I'm going. And, and the emotion, and even then for the, for the wives and girlfriends or partners or otherwise to also connect, I, I think Ryder Cup and therefore President's Cup fill a real hole in, in their existence, which otherwise is a lonely one. And I think Brooks is going to reflect and sit back and say, every year, every couple of years, I can now have a catch-up with these other 11 guys and the vice-captains other than Zach Johnson, and we can get together and and just have a meal or, or otherwise, but we've got this bond and I feel part of something bigger than just the game of golf. But this golf. is Brooks who doesn't even like spending time with his family. <laughs> he says he likes to be by himself. He's in, it is a solo pursuit and he's on that solo pursuit. But I, hear, I do hear yes. his point. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I was actually going to say that maybe Brooks is the only one who wasn't quite buying that completely. But but I think to his point, to defend his his comments, it is completely different to what his normal life is, and he likes his normal yeah. life. Well, I mean, the hug at the end with uh, Bryson didn't seem forced at all. It was certainly very authentic. <laughs> but I think there's a the point where, but Brooks also likes elite sport, and he likes hanging out with. Um, footballers and basketballers and all the rest of it who spend their lives surrounded by team and so I think part of that is this this envy and so I think Brooks will come back and reflect on this and say I mean any team and I think the President's Cup can expect to see him at Quail Hollow which but the big question Shooter then is how does Europe or how does the European team look in Italy in 2023 assuming that the US team will be mainly the same guys and there might be a sub in here or there um like who, when you look at the next five, so the next the, the players who missed out, re, um, realistically, were Noren McIntyre, Migliotti, um, Rosie Perez, Justin Rose, and Matt Wallace. It's not exactly a who's who. And, the, yeah, there's a bit of talent coming through. Who do we not see back? Yeah, well, I think the experiment of Dad's Army, shall we say, clearly didn't work. Um, and there's a couple of those guys who are unlikely to be back. Westwood's probably not going to play another. Casey, I can't see playing. Um, I can't see him playing this one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, who am I forgetting? Pulse. Pulse might have, in fact, a good way to go out, having been undefeated in the in singles over forty two Ryder Cups. Uh, and then you've then you've got Sergio. I mean, I think Sergio probably will play um, just for that Spanish Armada we've talked about. But yeah, it's going to be a very different look side i mean do they need is it a rebuild do they need to change the way in which they that they bring in these players or, or their selection process i guess and i think that that uh, is the big question when you consider that i think five of the the 12 europeans didn't qualify until after the bmw pga so the, the last event but which was worth double points it's kind of it badly skewed things a little bit and, and weisberger maybe it's pressure maybe it's talent maybe it was form going in um really didn't do a hell of a lot. Um, Paul Casey, as we know, didn't do a hell of a lot. Fleetwood wasn't in great form. Um, he had Justin Rose that was in good form. He had Bob McIntyre as a young buck, who, desperate to have a crack. So, so there's a few that, that there's a few coming through. Here's one for you. What are, are we likely to see a captain coach again? As in a captain? Sorry, a captain, a playing, <laughs> playing captain. Cap- I mean, think about it. Podrick would have been. Great to have had on that side. Uh, are we going to see a playing captain? I think there's probably too many distractions um, that'll take them away from from that role. And, and as you know, with Europe's team, with the elder state, statesmen, they had a lot of playing captains in reality because a few of them will go on to. I mean, Polter will be a Ryder no Cup question, captain. Yeah, West, West will be, be Sergio will be a Ryder Cup captain. Um, again, I'll give Paul Casey a miss. Um, which just for Kipper. 
Um, so there's at least there's at least three captains, future captains in that team. Rory will be a Ryder Cup captain um, at some stage as well. Um, it, it's just that the wings. Does the selection process have to change? Does the captain? Do they both need to have the same selection process, whereby there are six automatic qualifiers from the US and Europe, and then they get to choose six based on form or whatever they want? Yeah, I think it, I I personally would prefer that. I'd, I'd like to keep everything the same. I think it's the only fair way to really do it. Um, more and more importantly, is there a chance the next two presidents' cups are, are greater contests than the next two Ryder Cups? But not not as spectacles, but as contests. In a word, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the culture the culture of the internationals team has been lacking. And I think Europe's culture is as strong as it's ever been. So that's the bit the the biggest indicator, the biggest marker in a team is its culture, because that's what stands up uh, under all kinds of pressure. I mean, the next Presidents Cup, uh, where's that? Um, is that Quail a, Hollow? Well, a Quail Hollow. It is at Quail Hollow. Okay. Mm. Um, no, the U- USA will thump them. I've got no question. Who's and that's Trevor Immelman's the captain, isn't he? He could be. Yeah. No disrespect to to Immelman. He's hardly an icon himself of the game. You had, they had Ernie Els at the last one. What can Immelman do that Ernie couldn't do? Commentary. And I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be proven wrong. It's his brother, isn't it? I'm happy to be proven wrong on it. Um, but there's a cultural difference between the Ryder and Presidents Cup that I can't see working um, for the internationals. I mean, think about it. so continental Europe. You've got. 44 countries. There are many, how do I explain this? Many sort of culturally cross-cultured, I guess. So there's similarities in many of the, the cultures of these countries is what I'm saying. And there is an overriding European culture, which you know. So anyone from Europe, there's, there's some things, whether it's musically, whether it's... Um, um, dress um, sense. Dress, culinary, whatever it might be. There is a, there is a European culture when you've got the internationals you've got the rest of the world you're, you're potentially accessing 150 odd countries with major cultural differences so from africa to asia australasia south america now trying to amalgamate all of these different cultures coherently and create an internationals team culture that to me seems virtually impossible and the tournament's history pretty much tells us that so no i i, I think we are in for a period of u.s dominance but Europe has far more chance of stopping them than the internationals. So Ryder, Ryder Cup will be a better, no question in my mind, a better spectacle than President's Cup. Unless, of course, we're invited to the President's Cup and if we're spruiking it, in which case, oh, wonderful, what a tournament. Here come the internationals. And my last question then is, is the Ryder Cup, for having watched it at Whistling Straits and having watched it uh, the last few, is it still on a I must get to one list? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Ryder Cup still remains, as much as there was a thumping, Ryder, the Ryder Cup is the biggest and best sporting event for me in the world. Followed closely by the Ashes and we're going to knock the palms off in a couple of months. Couldn't agree more. And on that note, we'll bring today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Be sure to send us any of your thoughts to swagger at golfbarons.com. Sign up at golfbarons.com, follow us on all our socials, and enjoy watching Golf Barons on KO and Foxtel on demand. Thanks again for listening, Barons, and until next time, remember to add some swagger to your swing.